Welcome to Season 2 of Voices from the Land, a special podcast series produced by the Legacy Hope Foundation. In this podcast series, we'll hear about Indigenous language revitalization projects and efforts to preserve and promote Indigenous languages across Turtle Island. Join us as we learn more about how Indigenous languages are helping Indigenous peoples connect, know, and remember the voices from the land. Hello and welcome to this podcast on Indigenous languages. Voices from the Land is an Indigenous language podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Its goal is to capture more perspectives and voices on Indigenous language reclamation. We are seeking to capture a range of perspectives to better reflect the many people engaged in Indigenous language revitalization. Our aim is that by listening to teachers, adult learners, and parents or guardians of children in language classes, we can gain more insight into what the challenges and barriers are, as well as the solutions and positive outcomes. In turn, we hope this will form a larger discussion on how to support Indigenous language revitalization. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, our guest is Reverend Larry Beardy. Reverend Beardy is a Cree language syllabics teacher, also from the Tantashwiak Cree Nation in Northern Manitoba. Hello, Reverend Beardy, and welcome. It's good you can join us today. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning, Court. Uh, Maybe you can start by telling us a bit about your background, Reverend, like your First Nations community and what you do there. I know you're a Reverend uh, and you do a lot of work in the church with the people. So so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Gordon, uh, I'm from Tatasquia. Uh, we have uh, here about close to 3,000 people on reserve. I'm living in a reservation here in uh, northern Manitoba on Treaty 5 uh, territory on a 56 uh, parallel along the the Nelson River at Split Lake. That's where I am. And my people are are here uh, in Inuak, the the Cree. We're referred to as the Cree people. So uh, this is where where I I am right now. And uh, it has had a big influence on my life. So I was not born here. I was born uh, uh, in Churchill, Manitoba. In uh, 1954, this year I'll be 68 years old, May 16th, Niskipisim, the ghost month. So uh, this is when I was born uh, in 1954 in Churchill, Manitoba. But uh, I did live along the, the railroad with my father who worked for the Canadian National Railway. Like many others from Tataskia that went to live on the rail and, and make a living for their families along the railroad. So. Those are the areas that influenced me, living off the land and being brought up by my parents when I was a young child and a very young boy. Big influence on my family, uh, especially my parents. Like, uh, like I, I share with you, I grew up in a, in a tradition of my family, my community, that our way of life was on the land, uh, living along the railroad and along the rivers and lakes in northern Canada. And uh, I've had experience uh, living off uh, the Barrens and also on the edge of the, the tree line. So uh, I guess uh, Tega territory, that's where uh, I have uh, a lot of experience as a, as a young child and uh, li- living with my parents. Yeah. So that's where I'm from, Gordon. Thank you, Thank you. 
maybe you could tell us a little bit about your uh, your teaching background. I know you were a teacher at one time uh, before you became a reverend, and you uh, specifically uh, you're teaching uh, uh, the Cree language, also uh, your your experience in that area and getting into the Cree syllabic teachings. Well, I want to share with you before I get into that. When I was uh, a young young man, from eight years old to sixteen years old, uh, I could not speak my language after I was taken away from my home, from my parents. But uh, starting to raise my own family, I mainly spoke the English language. I could not uh, speak my own language, so I had to relearn my language. And and doing that, I. I had to live in an environment where the language was spoken. I had to hear the language, so I gained my language with my family and my community. And uh, in those days, uh, I entered teacher training right in my own community. Uh, what we call uh, teacher training, it was called uh, the Bachelor of Teacher Training. And, uh, and I entered that program to, to become a teacher. And in the training, uh, we were taught uh, indigenous courses like uh, Cree language. I did some credit hours in the Cree language. I also did learning the, the written form, what we call uh, syllabics. And that's what I was taught. I took the structure of the, the syllabics uh, writing, uh, how syllabics was created and, and where it came from. So uh, that's what I took. But one of the things that I did uh, while there, uh, we had our own uh, local people, uh, elders. They, they used to teach the language, uh, the, the syllabics, and I took the opportunity to do that. And uh, that's how I started learning uh, about uh, the written form of our Cree language. We got to remember, we came from an oral tradition. Our people came from an oral tradition. And it was spoken to us, and we listened. That's how we learn a language. But then uh, later on, uh, the written form was created, and it was called syllabic. So many of our people uh, were given that opportunity to learn that. And I see the elders there. They, they knew how to read, uh, to read the language and also to, to speak it, uh, uh, to speak the written language. So that's, that's where I got my experience learning the language. And then uh, I started uh, teaching it into, into my classes. We would teach Cree and, uh, and, and speak to the children in the language. And then later on, uh, in, uh, when I taught high school, I, I did a written form using the technology that's available to us. Uh, so that's how I, I learned and I taught and I taught my students the language. When you were teaching the uh the language, what type of format did you use? Like, how did you how did you go about doing your lesson? Well, the way that we used to teach, uh, as it was uh, guided to us uh, through the curriculum, the provincial curriculum, we would teach uh, Romanography and also syllabics uh, and also uh, through storytelling, and we, we would teach it in our, in our language. That's how it was put to us in uh, as a teacher, eh? And you have to you have to follow the the guidelines uh, and also to uh, to teach uh, the students. But what we have in Manitoba, we 
we used a curriculum, but uh, in a curriculum, you have to integrate uh, the language, uh, whether it's you're teaching math or science, uh, and even uh, in, in English, uh, translating it, you have to uh, integrate your language and also your culture. It's very important that you can't separate them. You can't teach them a separate. They have to be taught together. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that we are aware of, uh, you can only do so much in a classroom right. uh, of teaching the language. The, the majority of the language is taught on the land with your family and community. Eh? So that's where most of our language is taught. And we try to do that uh, in our communities. Mm -hmm. When you were teaching in, uh, in the school, the Cree language, you taught various age ranges, did you? And also, the second part of this question is, uh, when you, you teach, like, let's say, a lower grade, let's say grade five, would you uh, change your style of teaching as opposed to, like, when you're teaching grade 12 students? Yes. Uh, in the lower grades, it's more of uh, oral. Try to teach them, uh, to make sure they hear the language. Eh? So, and, and it's more, it's very important. Uh, the, you have to be in an environment where the language is spoken. And that's how uh, students learn. And uh, so uh, it's, it'll be a lot of storytelling. Sometimes you use legends. Eh? That you tell them stories about uh, Wichita, other places I call them Nanabush or the Raven. But in our areas, we should get the, the trickster. So right. we tell them, we tell them stories, stories like that. Yeah. And then when you get uh, further into the grades, uh, you start to uh, do the written form, and uh, so they recognize uh, the the symbols and and the sounds of the language. And then uh, in the higher grades, uh, what, what I what I try to do is uh, to to translate to do translation work, and then you get into the keyboarding. So that's what they try to do with the lower grades. Now, one of the things uh, that are our area, that's because under uh, one organization, uh, especially uh, the people, the specialists that, that, that work on the language, they encourage uh, the area to be consistent. So uh, people are not, are not confused. They encourage uh, that we teach the syllabics as opposed to Romanatography. So that's what they're doing in the schools in our area to, yeah. to teach the syllabics. So the students are not confused with the English system. So it's one or the other. Yeah, one. I think uh, in our area, it's syllabics. It's syllabics. Okay. Yeah, we have to teach. And in our area, it's an end dialect. The yeah. dialects are also different as opposed to in Saskatchewan or even Ontario and Quebec. Eh? So in yeah. our area, it's the end dialect. Yeah. I was talking a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, it makes me wonder, like, when our, our grandparents, you know, I know grand my grandfather, your grandfather too, probably, did not go to school, right? They're unilingual Cree-speaking people. and. Uh, but they're able to read and write the syllabics, the Cree syllabics language system. Who do you think taught them this? Uh, the church, probably? Well, uh, my understanding of uh, creating the, the syllabic system, it, it was 
created by our people, our own people. And uh, they took the, the symbols of the land or the signs, what I call uh, is monuments. Eh? Mm-hmm. What, the monuments they recognize, and that's what they use. Uh, example, like the Mi'kwa or the Tipi, uh, uh, the shaking tent, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and even, uh, even uh, I have, uh, what do you call that, the sweat lodge. It's yeah. all in the symbols of our syllabics. And okay. also the, the designs of uh, clothing, like before beadwork, you know, they use uh, quilts. Eh? They use uh, moose hide uh, or moose, moose hair, caribou hair to do quilting. And they dye it with different colors. Our people were able to do that. So that's how the, the system was created. And even uh, in translation, uh, they use our people to translate from English to Cree. And uh, they, they translated words. And the translation of the words were very uh, descriptive. The translation of our language is very descriptive, uh, yeah. even directions and and even who do you call the creator? Uh, you know, somebody that uh, created the world. Uh, you know, Asam uh, Ushi, Asam Ushi, or creates new shoes. You know that kind of oh, thing. Oh yeah, Ushis 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 Tikeo. It's a creator, eh? Uh, yeah. So uh, that, that's a creator uh, we call uh, we call Kishimanitu, who created all things. So those were translated uh, right from our from our own language, and even the the legends, uh, the the land, and that is all created. Now, Gordon, uh, I'm discovering through the government they uh, they try to assimilate our people in our own community of Tatasquia. I after doing some research on day schools, we had a school already running here in 1919. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how old your grandfather was, but my dad went to school. And I asked him one time, did you ever go to school? Yeah, he said, uh, I went to school maybe one or two days, but then our parents mm-hmm. took us uh, to the land and then we came back, we just came back and forth. And in those schools, the, they started teaching language, you know, the, yeah. the written form. And then uh, translation uh, was available, and they distributed this translation to our people, and that's how they learned to read. Okay. Uh, I used to see my parents, just, you know, especially uh, during the, the day of rest, they would just look at their books and they would read, eh? Yeah. And they would read out loud, or they would sing the songs that they had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they know how to, they, they recognize those symbols because it was from our land. Yeah. Prayer was big back in the in the day, like in the 60s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And then, uh, then it just kind of started fading out. I remember like my grandfather used to read the Bible. It's all translates, it's all in syllabics. And he'd read it like uh, in the morning and then uh, at night. So, you know, uh, before bedtime. Every, yeah. every every day, and your father yeah. probably did the same thing, but I could yeah. never I, I never learned the syllabics writing system myself. Uh, mm. My my grandparents that who, who raised me uh, preferred that I learn the English language and and the education on that side. So uh, that's the path they they made me made me go. What would you say are some of the uh, the challenges for your school, the school that you taught at, 
what are the challenges, the big challenges are in terms of improving success for your students in learning indigenous language, in learning the Cree language? What are the obstacles, uh, you might want to call them, barriers from preventing your students from getting better at learning Cree? Yeah, I'm just thinking back uh, to my own uh, personal experience. Uh, you know, uh, in my time when I was in uh, teacher training and uh, making a contribution to my community, and that was one of the barriers that I had was my language. I had to to relearn my language, and at the same time, I learned to read and write. So I had a purpose for it, to make a contribution to my community, because in my time, uh, like you know, our language was spoken very fluently still back in the 70s, eh? even 80s. Yeah. It was spoken in, uh, in our community, and, and that's a language you needed to know to, to communicate especially when you had to make decisions, uh, you know, at meetings or, you know, and to make sure we, we understood uh, what, what influences uh, were happening. So there was a purpose and people had to know the language. The question today, Gordon, for our communities, and that's, what, that's what's scaring me is, uh, do we need it? You know, is there a need for it, our language? Do we need to speak it? You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sad when I hear a, a grandparent say, "I don't understand my grandchildren." Right. And then uh, the grandchildren uh, are probably, you know, uh, they're saying, "Do we need to learn this language?" You know, everything around us is they don't speak our language anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, those elders are passing away. In my community, the language is not used uh, as much as it used to be. Most of our gatherings are in, uh, in a foreign language, and that's how people uh, uh, are doing business or living the, their culture. So that's what, that's what worries me today. Yeah. The biggest obstacle, how yeah. do you motivate a community? I see, I hear a lot of people say, our language is so beautiful when people talk. So how do you motivate the younger people to speak their language, you know, with each other and, uh, and live their culture like that? That is a big obstacle that we have today. Yeah. It's not only in our community, but I understand it's right across, it's right across the land. So uh, that is one of the things that I, I like to find ways of motivation. Right. What would you say is a key factor in your community's effort to improve language outcomes for students? What are the key factors that are making this happen, making making it work? In terms of, I guess, in, in Smith Lake, it's teachings, uh, the Cree language instruction is based mo mainly in the in the schools, right? Uh, there's, I don't, I'm not aware of a, a community program that's open for adults. But the one in the school, what, what makes it successful? Well, uh, anyway, uh, I'm thinking about that, that question. And I have to uh, look at the language is there, eh? Yeah. Everybody has that language in them. The language is not lost. It's there. It's there. It's within us. And how do you bring, out, how do you bring it out? I guess that's what you're trying to do to the school system. 
It's still taught in the school. It's taught in all the grades. It's still there. Nice. So we don't know how it's going to affect that uh, in the future. Maybe uh, it's going to be in, uh, in those young people, like you're planting the seeds. So uh, uh, I think that's very key that it's still taught in the school. And we still have elders. We have a few elders, uh, but not that many in the community. But in the communities, uh, there are elders. Some communities have many elders. Some don't. So I think uh, we need to we need to network with with uh, with all the Cree and work together of how to uh, develop language programs and language how to do it how to how to speak it, how to utilize it. And one of the things uh, I'm hoping for is uh, the recognition of the Cree language, mm -hmm. the recognition of the Cree language through legislation. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm hearing it's, it's been legislated and there is a commissioner that has been hired. So uh, there's those, uh, those supports out there and also, uh, we need to find a way of how to get it into the homes and into the community. We, we need to do that. Maybe we need to legislate it at the local level. Yeah. We might have to say, okay, Tatasquia, this is the law today. We're legislating our language, and it's the only language that's going to be spoken, maybe 90% in our community, and uh, teach it as a... Uh, you know, teach English as a second language, uh, and I think mm -hmm. that's what the, that's what the plan has been, or use uh, immersion, pre pre immersion, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, those kind of approaches. Mm -hmm. So, I think there's a hope. Uh, I, I strongly believe the language is there; it's yeah. within all of us. That's right. Yeah, I know uh, there are indigenous immersion programs uh, in different parts of the country. One of the things that Quebec did was they instituted a law uh, that the signage all has to be in French. Kind of uh, what you're referring to in legislating it, you know, uh, making it mandatory that, you know, that it be a first language spoken in the, in the community. And it's good to hear that the, the provincial government is recognizing it and, and maybe uh, you know, it's going to be uh, considered like a, an official third language or something like that. So. That's just interesting to hear. And you talk about uh, the other thing I, I picked up on is that you're talking about Cree people, like people at Smith Lake and, you know, indigenous people in general uh, have the language within them. It's within you. Like a lot of, um, a lot of students that went to residential school came back uh, not being able to, to speak the language or refusing to, or, you know, there'd be a block there. Uh, and I know a lot of some communities where, you know, they, a bunch of the kids went to residential school and came back and wouldn't speak Cree for the longest time until they started uh, living permanently in their communities. And then I guess they gradually, I mean, a lot of a lot of students that went to Dauphin, you know, who, who came back to Smith Lake and Gillum and places like that didn't speak uh, or, you know, what they call them silent speakers. It's the, the language, they understand the language, but they, for some reason, there's a block there that, you know, it can't come out or for, for some reason. So I've heard that uh, mentioned a few times. 
Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, as we close this podcast off, uh, Reverend? Uh, is there anything else uh, as a last remark you'd like to add or share with us about Indigenous language learning? I think uh, like identity is very important, identity. And, and I think that's what the Royal Commission identified, uh, you know, uh, and we're talking about youth uh, residential school, other forms of uh, colonization. We have to encourage the youth uh, to be to be proud of who they are as uh, indigenous people. You know, uh, what I see a stumbling block is uh, that, uh, like you said, in any music, when again, can people try to to even talk or or be made fun of? Uh, that happened to me. It happened mm-hmm. to a lot of us, uh, especially at uh, at the local level. We were shunned, but we have to overcome that. And today, the, the people that laugh, laugh at, at me, uh, they're the ones that ask me to translate for them, to, you yeah. know, to read a letter for them in their language. So we have to overcome that, and that's what uh, we need to do. Yes. Uh, I want to share with you a very personal story. Uh, there was this uh, guy asked us to help with uh, hauling a furniture into a home. So uh, in our truck, we, we pick up this furniture. And uh, and as we were hauling it, uh, uh, we were really struggling and slipping, uh, slipping uh, on this, almost dropping it. And then one of the guys said, you know, I, I can't hold this properly. He said that. And then the owner yelled at us, <laughs> and the might did, you know. Uh, don't call my furniture that. Yeah. In, in Cree, there's a, it's like a synonym. In my chinaman, it looks yeah. funny. Yeah, it, it, needs <laughs> two things. it needs two different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same word, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so, funny, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another, another story, uh, one of the elders uh, called back, he says, uh, Newton. He said that, eh? Yeah. And, uh, and he said, Kana Nutin. Don't fight him. Oh, it was a windy yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Windy and fighting is the same, same <laughs> words. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So, I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Nutin. Language is uh, so beautiful, eh? Yeah. Uh, you'll have to understand uh, what it means. Yeah. It's very descriptive, eh? Yeah. So, and it's so, so, it's so wonderful to... Uh, to sit around a table and you know tell stories in Cree, you know, uh, and yeah. I guess that's our tradition, right? It's our yeah. it's our oral tradition, and, and it happens yeah. when I'm in Strip Lake uh, in, on the reserve. You know, you yeah. go to the band office and, and sit around and talk to the elders and counselors, and yeah, and it's all usually it's all in Cree, and it's we got some pretty good stories. So, yeah, yeah. Cree, the language and the culture, you know, the language makes the culture, you know. They go yeah. hand in hand, right? So yeah, you really yeah. need to know both of them to to fully yeah. to fully yeah. uh you know understand the Cree culture yeah. and language. Yeah. Yeah. And also but, at this time, uh, at this time, uh, our language, indigenous language is healing. Yeah. It's a healing, healing to our language, to our to ourselves. Eh? We do need a lot of healing in our yeah. communities. Uh, and that's yeah. one way of our community to, to be healed. Uh, is to is to learn the language. Mm-hmm. 
Bertog. Yeah, Bertog, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Larry. Uh, uh, the Reverend Larry Beardy from Split Lake, Manitoba, Tatashia Cree Nation. Thank you for taking the time to do this with us. Stay Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Voices from the Land is a podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Music is provided by David Finkel. For more episodes like this and to learn more about the work we are doing, please visit www.legacyofhope.ca.